Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 137 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me today. My guest this week is Wendy Cooper. Wendy spells her name W-E-N-D-I. Wendy is a fellow podcaster, and she is the host of the Speaking of Age podcast, where Wendy interviews remarkable people over the age of 50. You can find her podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your audio. You'll find her podcast. Again, the name of her show is Speaking of Age. The reason why I had Wendy on the show is Wendy was originally diagnosed with stage 3C ovarian cancer back in 2005. She tested positive for the BRCA1 gene and just recently learned that her cancer has returned. An interesting conversation with Wendy dealing with what she's facing ahead of her with this surprise recurrence after over 14 years. Join me now for my conversation with Wendy Cooper. Wendy, welcome to We Have Cancer. I really appreciate you reaching out to me. And I was looking through your bio, looking through your materials, and, you know, we'll get to your cancer journey in a minute, but, you know, we talked as you and I digitally as cancer patients, that's me, cancer survivors, you, and then I look at your bio, and the first thing that jumps out at me is happiness mentor. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) how do we reconcile the two? So tell me about what is a happiness mentor? Well, you know, recently I have a a long, this year has just been an interesting journey for me uh, since last December, but I started noticing that there are, there definitely are these jobs that people get and they're like the chief of happiness. VaynerMedia has one uh, position, she's a gal that does it there, and so as I was trying to You know, I do marketing and I do a lot of things. I do podcasting, I do marketing, I do producing and writing, directing and all of this stuff. But the core of what I am all about is direct response marketing for the past 25 years. And so in in search of something to make me stand out, which obviously it worked for you, because I just thought, you know, I really pride myself on people like to be around me, I think, and I make them happy. And so I threw that on my LinkedIn profile, and it basically says that I'm a happiness mentor. And I think that I can coach and mentor more happiness in people's lives only because I have had so much diversity in my own life that, you know, I like to, I do, I just like to make people feel happy. So you are an ovarian cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. And does, how did... Do... I'm an ovarian cancer I, I have a recurrence. You have a recurrence, okay. I have a recent okay, recurrence. Okay, so I like to say because I'm also stage four myself, colorectal, but I'm here, so yeah. I'm a survivor. Right? Here, survivor. Right? Yeah. Every day, every day right. we're survivors. Uh-huh. 
do you sometimes find it hard to be that cancer patient and be that happy mentor at the same time, or does one help the other? I think one helps the other or one disguises the reality of 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 the other, right? I have a difficult time. So I was just a I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in two thousand five and I was treated for that. And then I was also diagnosed to have the BRCA gene, as you know, I'm BRCA1. And then I had a double mastectomy with reconstruction in 2006. I went through, I went under, I went through all the chemo, the, you know, the chemo treatments for ovarian cancer. And then I had to wait until the next year to have my boobs chopped off. Was that prophylactic? Okay. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't have breast cancer, yeah, and it was, right. you know, it was this whole thing of you're you're diagnosed with cancer. Even my ovarian cancer, it was it, it was just a everything that happens to me is very weird. I had a, a lymph node that I felt in my groin that had this like you know tenderness to it, but I had had that for years, years and years. And then one day after I went through a stressful situation and it had swollen up. I pushed on it and my lymph node felt like a rock. And I went, oh, that's not good. And so anyway, one thing led to another. They discovered that I had um, ovarian cancer that had wrapped itself around my lymph node in the groin. So therefore it was considered to be stage 3C metastatic. And when they went in to do the hysterectomy, oophendectomy, pupoorectomy, whatever, they do all of that (laughs) stuff, right? They found that it was... It wasn't any place but on the inside of my ovaries, which was really stage one, right? But since it had worked its way somehow to the stupid lymph node, they considered. So I had to go through chemo. So I went through chemo. So then I I was discovered to be the BRCA gene. My mom was dying of renal cell cancer at the mm-hmm. time, by the way. And I, yeah, so I went through the whole, bro- the whole chopping my boobs off. And that was a nightmare because that took me... That was 2006. It wasn't until 2009, late 2009, after about 10 surgeries that I really had gotten through that process. And I found myself with a set of boobs and a situation that I could live with, uh, which I really couldn't because then in 2009, 8, 10, maybe, maybe 2012, I had them replaced again, which made me a little bit happier. But now in January of 2019, I was diagnosed with a reoccurrence of what they now call peritoneal cancer. And peritoneal cancer is one of the most difficult to get rid of. So when when they went in and I insisted on them going in in June, it was a long course of things. I don't want to get into it. But they went in, they did it, that laparidectomy or whatever where they open you up. It turns out that I had all the symptoms that led them in there was appendicitis. Oh, my goodness. But they were thinking it was automatically cancer because I had elevated CA-125, So, which was okay. But so my appendix, from what I understand, was nearly ready to explode, and it did have little bits of cancer on the outside of it. My colon on the outside had little bits of cancer, not colon cancer, but peritoneal or ovarian, little spots, mm-hmm. little spots, no tumors. Right little spots of cancer on my bladder and then I believe in my peritoneum it was like in four or five places so they sewed me back up and they said well we'll just zap her with chemo you know we'll just give her another good zap of chemo and she'll be good to go 
And I'm like, that's not that's not okay with me. <laughs> you know, let's just zap her with chemo yeah. and we'll be good to go. I'm not a horse. So I don't want to be zapped with anything. And I didn't take very well to the chemo. I had to stop doing the chemo last time I did it. So, because it was killing me. So the four, 14, 15 years later, I'm a bit older and I don't really think that my body is that much stronger. And my chemo doctor basically says that it is a matter of quantity versus quality quality versus quantity of life and for me yeah it probably is but I did my research and I came up with have you heard of HIPEC? I have do you know anybody I've in yeah. interviewed episode 129 of we have cancer Howard Brown who I happen to have an online chat with today as a matter of fact oh wow who's, who's doing great and if you haven't had to if go go Listen to my interview with Howard. I will. Super guy. He's up in Michigan. Happy to connect you. But yeah, HIPIC is a tough procedure, but they're having success with it. So did he have a tough time? It took a while to recover. Yeah, it was a challenging yeah. surgery. Uh, but I yeah. talked to him, like I said, today. We hadn't talked in a while. He messaged to check on me, which is very nice. And I said, how are you doing? And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. He's doing well. So, Do you know how old he is by, by chance? I think Howard's in his early 50s, early to mid-50s. I think he's a few years younger than me. I'll, I'll, I can explain a little bit for the listeners what HIPEC is, mm -hmm. in case they don't know. Sure. So HIPEC is usually only performed, in my case, with peritoneal cancer when the cancer is still extremely small. So when they went in and they did the surgery, they would give me chemo because, because they saw these dots, little tiny, less than 5.5 centimeters cancer dots on my, on my uh, organs. And that was removed. So you're a candidate, from what I understand, I'll know more on Thursday. You're a candidate as long as your cancer is somewhat microscopic and it's considered um, not gigantic tumors or anything like this or, you know. So I'm a, I, I believe I'm a candidate for that. But what it does is they, they open you up. They look for the cancer, they take away any tumors that might be there, and then they put a tube in and a tube out, and they heat the chemotherapy, and they sew you back up, or they temporarily close you on the operating table, and they let the chemo flush through your abdomen. Right. And that you go through this process where it's flushing through and it's heated. And I'm not sure why it's heated, but it's heated. And this makes it so that you possibly don't have to go through the six rounds of chemotherapy. That is usually what I would have to, what you would have to go through intravenously. Right. And since I'm 15 years later, I'm still suffering from terrible neuropathy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have it or not in my feet, yeah. which has caused my quality of life for 15 years to be compromised as it is. I can't imagine... I can't imagine doing that to myself again. Yeah. That's where it's, for me, quality over quantity. Sure. Because I would be, I might live longer, but I'm going to suffer in those years that I'm living longer. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, physically suffer. So I found HIPEC and I just am, I'm just curious about it and I want to see if I am a candidate for it. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely connect the two of you. Okay, so good. that's a tough choice to have to make, isn't it? It's a super hard choice. At, at firstly, I was like, I'm not going to do chemo. I'm just going to see what happens. I'll wait until October for my next CAT scan, and I'll see what the CAT scan says, and then I'll figure it out, which is what I'm still doing. 
But since IPEC is done when it's still at a super early stage or that microscopic stage or whatever, I don't want it to, you know, we don't know if my cancer is aggressive. Typically it is aggressive, this type. It's papillary serous carcinoma. Typically it is aggressive. The doctors go, well, it could have been there for the past 14 years. We don't know. It's like, I know you don't know. Yeah. Right? I mean, but seriously, I think it's more realistic to say it hasn't been there for the past 14 years <laughs> <laughs> and then it's come back and we need to explore all the different options of what I should do. And then I make a decision on what I'm going to do. Sure. I just need to be fully informed this time, you know. Yeah. So so it's been 14 years when you went through chemo and the surgeries and all that back in 05 and completed that process, you know, the the physical process. How did that impact how you looked at and how you lived your life these last 14 years? Uh, was it something that was in the past? Something that was, you know, didn't think you'd have to deal with again? You know, how yeah. did that impact you? Yeah, I did feel that way. I think in the beginning, in the first few years, you're a little bit more conscious because you're still probably going through growing your hair out, losing the steroid weight, you know, getting back to normal. But I think after about three or four, I remember it was something like nine years, I was actually able to walk barefoot for a while. You know, when you have neuropathy, the damage, the toxic shock neuropathy in your feet and hands from chemo, it's a little bit different than if you have diabetic neuropathy. But I wasn't able to wear, you know, bare, go barefoot or wear, you know, shoes, toeless shoes or whatever. I still have a very big problem with that. But I remember that day I posted on Facebook that it had been nine years since I could wear flip flops or walk in the house barefoot. And it was a big milestone for me. Um, as far as me having a gynecological cancer and being BRCA1, so having every female part of my body removed and my breasts removed, also, that that was very difficult, and it still is difficult for me. It takes away a lot of your sense, how you feel about yourself sexually, sensually. I have a wonderful husband, but, you know, it's just not the same thing. I don't care what anybody says. Nobody can tell me that they are just as whole and as perfect as they were before they had their female hormones cut out of their body and their breasts taken off. I'm sorry, that just doesn't, that's not true. I don't care. That's <laughs> not true. You know, you bring up a good point and, and something, when I first launched this podcast over four years ago, I had a guest, we had kind of had this conversation. And, you know, one of the things that we all struggle with as cancer patients is, you know, doctors are trained to treat what's in front of them right? Mm -hmm. You have cancer, we're going to remove the cancer. And however way we do that, my job is done, go live your life. Yeah. But when you're talking about something like you just talked about, that has such long term lasting impact on your on your life and emotions and all those kinds of things. Do you feel like you haven't been totally treated? How do I answer that? That's a really interesting question. I feel as though I was so relieved to get past the cancer part that I kind of compartmentalized it, right? And then did I use the excuse, you know, that, you know, 
as opposed to having a headache, I would say, I don't have, I don't have any boobs, so I can't have sex. But it just, I, I can't explain it. it. It it completely changes how you feel about yourself. It completely, ch- I think it changes how your spouse or your partner feels about, about you. I think it changes how you feel about your body. I'm not ever comfortable. I mean, I, it's been 14 years. I've gone through so many different iterations. And, you know, there were times when I had one boob and the other one was concave because of infections and I had to run around with for six months like that. Uh, and then that happened three times. It was a really emotional ride for me. So as soon as everything was somewhat back to normal, I wanted to forget about it as much as I possibly could. I just wanted to forget about it. And so I think I compartmentalized it and I just went off into my life and I said, you know, it's just it's not going to happen to me again. And in December, when I got my CA125 and it was elevated and I had been having, you know, these weird symptoms that I didn't know what they were, then, yeah, really, that really hit me hard. That was like, are you kidding me? I'm 64 years. Basically, you know, I work gig from gig, project to project. Um, Now I have to also be a cancer patient. Again. You know, Again. again. Yeah, I don't I don't want to have to be a cancer patient again. So then you have the friends that are telling you, oh, just be positive, eat healthy, you know, rah, rah, rah. Don't have that hostess snowball because it's bad for your cancer. And it's like, uh-huh. look, dude, if I only have X amount of time to live, I'm going to live. <laughs> right. I, you know, right. you're in this worldly where right now I'm like, Part of me says, I want to do everything what I want to do, because when you're diagnosed with peritoneal cancer, I don't care what stage it is, you only have a couple of years maximum. You really do, right? Even with the chemo, the the high-pet chemo treatment, that still is only going to buy me who knows what. It's going to buy me a lot more, right? Sure. Then again, it's like, am I going to live until I'm 100 years old and have to be fighting this or 90 years old and have to be living this, you know, being treated for cancer? It is a mind F-U-C-K all the way to next Sunday when you have to figure out and live in an unknown situation of cancer. No doubt. I mean, you know, I like, I said, you know, as the listeners know, I've been battling stage four colorectal cancer for eight and a half years now. And I don't think I've had more than six months without something to deal with, right? Now, I've been fortunate, and I am able to look at the bright side, usually, that as things tend to pop up, they tend to be small and slow growing. But each time I think I'm out of the woods, it goes back to the the only bad version, the only bad sequel to The Godfather, part three, when he says, just when I thought I was out, I'm pulled back in. Uh, That's been my life too, and absolutely. And you know what? If I'm going to go out with my wife, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to have a bourbon or two. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, it ain't going to make a difference. It really it's not going to make a difference. It will make a difference in the quality of my life. You know, That's I'm going right. to enjoy today. That's right. Right. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. So it had been 14 years. What kind of schedule were you on in terms of being monitored? None. So how did you come to... None. No, I, I didn't think so. So how did you wind up being uh, diagnosed with the recurrence? I was, 
I was monitored. Okay, so what happens is, is that after five years, I was actually pronounced cured. I have letters from my doctors, cured, because I wanted to get my insurance adjusted down, right? And so I had all these letters cured. So, you know, when you have ovarian cancer, you're considered cured after five years, because you have to be basically in remission, right, or whatever, for five years, and then you can you can get that brand on you. So, you know, I never so really went to the gynecologist. I went to him every once in a while, and they would test my CA125 every Every year, but my CA125 wasn't even elevated when I had cancer. Mm. Okay, so it's an unreliable marker. Yeah. Uh, in December, it was it was time for um, it, it was just time for my physical, my regular physical, mm-hmm. and yet then you had to select your plan. You know, I'm in California, so you had to select our plan. And so get this: so in doing so, my husband and I all last year we had like a deductible plan, right? And it was $700 a month for him, $700 a month for me. I had a full-time gig, a full-time job at that point. So we were paying all this money in, but we never once went to the doctor except for our physical because we didn't get ill or sick. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I had this conversation with him. I said, you know what? We paid so much money into Kaiser last year. We're so healthy. It's no big deal. Let's just do the deductible plan this year, which we signed up for. And then I went for the the physical for that plan. And sure enough, that's when we discovered blah, 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 blah. So then that put me in the hole because I had surgeries. I had CAT scans. I had PET scans. And by the way, anybody, always, I mean, they charge Kaiser $6,000 for a PET scan. That's what the bill says. Yeah. $7,000 for a CAT scan for some reason. When you can go up the street and tell them your private pay for $450. Dollars. Yep. I mean, yep. my deductible, my deductible was twelve hundred dollars for the for the CAT scan. I, I could have gone up the street for four hundred fifty. So always know that you, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, there is a cash option. There's a cash option. Cash is always, cash is king. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like you know. So anyway, that happened, and and so you know, quickly by June, I was you know out of pocket maximum of seventy two hundred dollars or something like that. But now I have that. You know, it's just been a year since January of, let's just put it mildly, crap, you know? So I have to be my own happiness mentor Uh and make sure that I stay happy. (laughs) (laughs) How do you do that? So what, seriously, what? I don't do it very, half the time, I don't do it very well. So, but what do you try to do? I smoke a lot of pot. (laughs) Most people don't talk about it, but you know what? Benefit of being in California. Oh, that's right. You guys can't have that in in Florida. So Florida has medical. Oh, okay. So, and it's not hard to get approved for medical. Okay. Yeah. It was never hard to get approved here either. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I have to take that back. I don't smoke a lot of pot. I'll smoke it every once in a while, but what do I do? You know, I really, 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 I found a nice uh, faith-based, Bible-based church that I love to go to. I started going to church. I never did that in the past. I really enjoy that. I look to when I first was diagnosed with the recurrence. It was a. It was so. I have to bring this up because I think it's so important. I was so depressed. I was on unemployment, which has now run out, and I'm not half as depressed. But I was. Everything in my life seemed to be turned upside down, and now God was handing me this diagnosis. And I have two boys. I'm a grandmother. My son actually lives back there in Fort Lauderdale. 
and it's just re- it was just really tough. I started to plan everything, you know. I started to plan who was going to get this. I redid my advance consent. I I just started making all these crazy ass plans for dying. I mean, mm. better why not do it now? But I literally was planning on dying, right? Now nothing's changed from then to now except for I was in such shock that I had a reoccurrence. This just had not happened to me. And my doctors were shocked. And they were saying that, you know, maybe it's a different primary uh, type of cancer because ovarian cancer usually after 15 years doesn't come back, you know. And it was like, oh, everybody's stumped, you know. And the solution is just give her chemo and, and, and that's it. To the point where my doctor, my one doctor was even saying, you have to promise me you're going to do chemo because I know you hate chemo, but you got to promise me you're going to do it if I do the surgery. And I was like, okay, I promise. You know, just do the surgery. I want to know what's going on in there. You know, that was ridiculous. So... Now, now I just really have to have this attitude. And I think everybody that has cancer probably has the same attitude. Everybody in the world, no matter who you are, what color you are, what age you are, where you are, how rich you are, how poor you are, all you have is right now this moment that you're living. Period. Period. And that's how you do it. You just realize that everyone else is in the same situation as you are. It's that simple. We're all in the same situation. We all only have what we have, and that is the moment that we are living in. Because that can all change in a New York second, millisecond. So that's how I do it now. And that's it's just how I do it. And you know what? I don't, I'm surprised that I'm talking to you about it because I don't wear it on my sleeve. I don't go around saying, telling, I haven't, I haven't told a lot of people that I know. I don't want people to look at me like a cancer patient. I don't want people feeling sorry for me. Do you? No, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. Nobody mm-hmm. needs to know my you know, needs to to know that. You know, it's like sure. Could I parlay that into, you know, getting paid a lot of money to go speak somewhere or be that person that's here? I am. Rah rah. I'm a cancer survivor. I'm thriving with cancer, and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to take twenty five thousand dollars. Which, by the way, anybody listening, I would gladly take the twenty five thousand dollars to speak. <laughs> But Wendy Cooper, WendyCooper.com. That's right. I don't. Wendy with an I. Thank you. I don't want that to be an agenda, right? I don't want right. it to be part of my agenda. That is not what I want. I want, to, if I was to be asked to do something, which I love to, to do, I want it to be because of who I am, not because of a situation that I'm in. But And, and that's why I started this podcast four and a half years ago is to reach the audience that needed the message because that's the consistent message that we get is, oh, I thought I was the only one. Now I don't feel quite alone to hear Wendy share her story about what she's going through. I thought I was the only one going through that, right? So I don't necessarily, like you will rarely see me post on my personal Facebook page stuff about what I'm doing. I mean, people know and if it's colon cancer awareness month, yeah, I'm going to mention, hey, it's going go get your colonoscopy. But I don't do health updates and those kinds of things. I will in the groups yeah. of my tribe yeah. of other, you know, but you won't often see me do this on my own page for the exact same reason, for the exact same reason. I want to be known as 
who I am. Yeah. And I'm fortunate even with the stage four that I'm able to hold a full-time job that I love. And I want to be known, you know, for that and for being who I am on the inside, not you know, because of this disease that I've had for eight and a half years. I think what's... So I get it. I think what's... Well, you can't let it... Number one, you can't let it define you. And number two, I don't even want it to be a part of the definition of me, right? I just don't... And I don't want to be remembered for, oh, she was such a strong person, even that whole entire time she had cancer. It's like, you know, hey, buddy, I'm going to tell you something. I just know I have my cancer. You probably have cancer, too. (laughs) You just don't know it. Yeah, but but what I will tell you, and and many guests like yourself have shared similar story to me, Wendy, is there is no doubt that how the experience has changed me as a person, and I think for the better. Now that doesn't mean like a guest I interviewed way back when said, "Look, people who say, oh, it's been a gift," he said, "If it was a gift, I'd give it right back," <laughs> and I agree. Okay, okay, but nonetheless. And, I, and our listeners have heard me say this many times. When I look at all the great things that have happened in my life in the last eight and a half years, met, met and married uh, my wife, grandkids, on and on and on, you know, kids getting married, all those things, and add that to the pot with the cancer and all that, these still have been the best eight and a half years of my life. That's awesome. And I say that with zero hesitation. Okay. That doesn't mean I wouldn't give it back if I could. That one part, right. I would, of course. But I I absolutely see how it's changed me, and I think, for the better. And it goes back to what you just said about I've become much better able to appreciate right this moment, right now. And I'm sure you've heard this. We hear it a lot, that whole term about scanxiety. Yeah. I have a scan coming up, yeah. and me I'm freaking too. out, all that. And you know what? The message you just shared, Wendy, that message is what helped me conquer anxiety. Because I just had a moment and I said, what am I doing? I am torturing myself today about something coming up a week from now that all the torturing I'm doing on myself ain't going to change the results of that test. The results are going to be what the results are going to be. So I'm intentionally, maybe unintentionally, ruining what could be a great moment right now, worrying and making myself sick about something that's not going to change anything. No, I haven't. This is this is my first scanxiety because I'm having it since my surgery, right? So, I mean, sure. I had the other scans that we kind of were looking for something and we weren't really seeing it. We saw a little bit of fluid here, but that led me to insisting on the on the surgery because I knew something was going on in there. And if and if I hadn't insisted on surgery, my appendix would have exploded and probably killed me. It was just ridiculous. Okay, that's ridiculous that they didn't know it was all the symptoms I had was appendicitis. You know, yeah. women out there, if you don't know this, and men also, your appendix is a needless little thing that is at the end of your colon, right? And it is can be it can be situated in the front or in the back. Okay, so if it's in the front, then you get the pain on the left side in the front. That's a typical appendicitis pain. If it's located in the back, like your 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 lower colon can be pushed back, then you're going to have pain in the back. And so they thought I just had my back pain, but my back pain kept getting worse and worse and worse. And the, the morning of the surgery, I said to my surgeon, wheeling me in, I said, remember to look on the left side. My back is killing me, 
right? Well, sure enough, oh, he was so surprised to find a, a near-exploding appendix, you know. Well, come on. Another symptom of appendicitis that people might not know about is that you cannot, you have no sensation at all when you try to push a bowel movement out. It's like you're paralyzed. That was wow. one of my symptoms, and nobody even took notice that that was one of my symptoms. But I said, it's the weirdest thing. All of a sudden, I feel like I can't push out a bowel movement. I feel like I'm paralyzed, right? And then another one is the other kind of pressure that I had. It was all appendicitis. For Goodness. three months, I had these symptoms. So when we started... We started this conversation. You said, you know, your experience has been all kinds of weird things. You weren't kidding. Yeah. So it was the appendicitis that led us to discover very early this recurrence of ovarian cancer, right? It was this weird lymph node that would swell up for like 10 years every time I got stressed that led us to discover the ovarian cancer at an early stage. So I feel as though God has always been on my side you know, and led me there before it really got bad. So I think my, you know, that's why my doctors are basically saying, well, we don't know if it's, if it's aggressive or it's not aggressive. Typically, it's aggressive, Wendy, but it, for you, it looks like it's not very aggressive. So now I'm going through the every four month scan, mm -hmm. right? So they might not find anything at all in October when I have the scan. But if they do, or if they don't, I, st I still want to know what all of my options are. I just want to know what all of my options are. Because the bowl well, looks very different when you're in the ring. So I might say, Lee, right now, I don't want to do any chemo. But, you know, when I see that really cute face of my little granddaughter, I might decide differently. I don't know. Goes back to one day at a time. That's right. One day at a time. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time. And your candidness was refreshing. Um, oh, thank you. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, we joked and, and, and I know no offense was meant from either of us about, you know, people being rah-rah and you got this and, you know, but, you know, unless you walk in the shoes of a patient. That's right. You just don't know what some of the challenges are. Yeah. Uh, and what you experience. And, you know, I, I always say, you know, 99% of the time people have the best of intentions. And, I, and I'm just going to try to judge them on their intentions rather than what the, how the message comes out. But but your candidness was really appreciated, and and I know it will be by the listeners of of the of the podcast. Thank you, thank you, and I hope people come come visit me on my website wendycooper.com. It's all sorts of stuff there. <laughs> it really is. And why you want to plug your podcast? Sure. I actually did a really great interview yesterday, and I am and I just posted it today, but I'm actually going to edit it a little bit more. My podcast is called The Wendy Cooper Show, Speaking of Age, uh, Conversations with Remarkable People Over 50. My latest episode is not a remarkable person over 50. She's a super uh -huh. remarkable person wow. that is 31. But she, she has a... She's in Austria. She's in Vienna, Austria, and she has a platform that basically is called growwiser.com, and it connects seniors with job opportunities once they retire. So it's Grow Wiser, no E between the S and the R on Grow Wiser. But I'm really into uh, bringing awareness to ageism and um, pro-aging and the culture, the differences in our society for people who are now living longer lifespans and the difficulties and challenges that might be out there and how you reinvent yourself if you can't find a job over 50 and things like that. So it's, uh, 
it's it's a very big topic, and I happen, you know, I've been I've been doing um, shows for a long time, mostly on marketing, but this one was near and dear to me when I thought of. I kept hearing God's words, basically say, embrace your age and share your wisdom, and that's what your next show needs to be about, and that's exactly what I'm doing. Good so. for you. I had a chance to listen to the podcast, and I thought it was great. And for our listeners, especially those that fit the demographics that Wendy talked about, those of us over yeah. fifty. Uh, there's definitely a lot to be taken from her amazing conversations with amazing people. Thank you. So thank you. Thank Wendy, you. Thank you. I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for letting me share, share my situation with everyone. Be well. Thank you. You too. There are two Get Your Ear and Gear events left for 2019. Coming up on Saturday, November 9th in Orange County is their 5K run walk that is taking place at Miles Square Regional Park at the Forest Shelter. And then on the following Saturday, November 16th, for all of our friends in Houston, Texas, their Get Your Rear and Gear event is taking place at Baylor College of Medicine, the McNair campus. Those are the remaining two events, and we'll pick it back up again in February of 2020. Those are your Get Your Rear and Gear events coming up for 2019. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.